You're listening to the Midlife Mastery Podcast. My name is Peter Fritz, and this show is all about mastering your money, your time, and the best time of your life, your midlife, of course. Welcome back to the Midlife Mastery Podcast. This is session number 35, so you'll find the corresponding blog post over at midlifetribe.com slash 35. Wherever you're listening from, whether it's in your car or you're going for a run or you're just vegging on the couch, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate having you here. Today, we're going to um, talk about the second installment in the series I'm calling Midlife Mentors. Uh, if you haven't heard the first one, just go back to midlifetribe.com slash 33. The idea behind the Midlife Mentors series is, well, I discovered a while ago that most of the people that I look up to that I've learned from over the last couple of years, as I went through my own sort of midlife transformation, most of those people are in my age group, it's I don't know if it's coincidental or, or what, but uh, most of them are over 40 and some of them, are in fact, are in their 70s and even 80s. So uh, the thought dawned on me that uh, it would be nice to share these people with you and uh, to expose you to some of the things that um, they've learned over the years as they've gone through midlife and faced the challenges that inevitably they've faced, as we all do. So this is the second installment in that series. And for this one, we're talking to one of my most trusted and revered mentors, Ken Fife. I first came into contact with Ken about 21 years ago when he was holidaying in Spain, and I called him up about a position in his growing software company. He was kind of pleased with my assertiveness. I didn't realize he was in Spain at the time, but he invited me to undergo a battery of tests to sort of determine whether I was suitable for the role. I don't remember the name of the firm that he used, but um, it was a... Uh, I guess it would be like the Myers-Briggs organization. Um, no, maybe not. But it was an organization that uh, essentially sat you in a room for most of the day and ran through a series of different tests to determine your, uh, your intelligence, your emotional intelligence, your reasoning capacity, um, your problem-solving abilities, that kind of stuff. It was kind of interesting. It seemed weird at the time. Uh, I felt like I was almost locked in this sort of um, dusty, dimly lit room for hours on end. But it was an interesting exercise. And I I actually wouldn't mind doing that kind of thing again, just to be more conscious of um, the whole experience. But anyway, um, a few weeks later, I got to meet Ken in person. And I was immediately struck by a couple of things, Um, mostly his um, calm and statesman-like demeanor. uh, As a newly minted employee of his company, I, I went on to benefit from Ken's wisdom and his guidance over the many years that followed, and I still do to this day. So, I'm pleased to say that Ken these days is truly one of my most trusted and admired mentors. Uh, I've had countless challenges over the years, as we all do, and through a series of personal upheavals, Ken's always been a voice of reason and a fine example to follow. As I remarked to him not that long ago, I've never once heard him raise his voice in anger. Um, nor have I seen him use his considerable power to push any kind of personal agenda. He really is a model of what I would call reasonableness. And reasonableness is not a word that we hear all that often. It's kind of a bit clunky. It almost sounds like a made-up word. But it's a character trait that so few people personify. When I sought Ken's advice on investing – he was there for me, and we spent a lot of time talking about real estate investing. We even went to a, um, a conference together. When my marriage collapsed, he was there for me again. 
And when I was losing everything that I'd worked so hard to build, he stood by me and gave me words of encouragement and this perspective that I needed to push through. And you'll get a sense of that when you listen through to the answers that he gave to the questions in this series. To me, Ken embodies everything that makes a man good on all the levels that I aspire to. This becomes clear when you talk to others about his life and the way that he conducts himself. I honestly believe that you can gain a pretty accurate measure of your own integrity by what others say about you when you're not in the room. And I've never heard anything but respect and admiration for Ken. And so it was only logical that when I embarked on this quest to showcase my greatest midlife mentors, Ken's was the first number that I dialed. He's done a lot of things in his 79 years. He spent two years as a ranch manager uh, on a 120,000-acre cattle ranch in uh, Fiji. He managed and co-owned a 5,500-acre livestock hill country property in New Zealand for about 18 years. And following his move to Australia, he went on to grow a software company into a global player. And he nursed that company through some massive changes. And along the way, he helped others to grow and to shine, myself included. But I have to say that what I admire most about Ken is the way that he has prioritized his life. His family has always been at the top of his list, and he's engineered his business interests around that principle. He's also a believer in doing versus vacillating and over-planning. Mind you, he still recognizes the need to think deeply about a problem before acting. In fact, I remember a long time ago him saying to me that um, if I need to think through a particular problem, then sitting back at my desk or jumping in the car and going for a drive for a few hours just to think through the problem is the most productive thing that you can be doing at that time. In a typical corporate environment where looking busy seems to be the most important thing, Ken always had a very unique and I think very valid perspective on the meaning of productivity. And often the most productive thing a man can do or a woman can do is to think. He's also not afraid to trust his instincts and take calculated risks Pouring every cent into modernising his company's software to compete with the number one player in our country really took nerves of steel, and it also took a lot of faith in the people who made it happen, because it was a long, protracted process and a very expensive process. He also carries an adventurous heart, whether it's the weekly 18-kilometre round-trip walk to his office, or it's the 800-kilometre Camino de Santiago, which he recently completed with his daughters. His search for roads less travelled, accompanied by his wife Lee, also saw him set foot on the Antarctic Peninsula recently. Closer to home, his guitar practice now forms part of his daily routine. He really is the archetypal Renaissance man. So without any further delay, I'm honoured to present Ken's responses to the midlife mentor questions, and I hope you enjoy them. Do you consider yourself middle-aged, and how do you feel about this moniker? Yes, I am middle-aged, but it's a meaningless term that I don't bother to think about. Is there something you loved to do when you were young that you've since rediscovered and embraced in later years? After retirement from my CEO role at age 75, I finally found the time to set and slowly achieve the ambitious goals that I'd set for myself in my quest to attain competence in my musicianship as a blues guitar and harmonica player. I taught myself both these instruments when I was very young, but they'd taken a backseat over most of my life. Now I get immense satisfaction from my daily practice. I also have more time to work on my fitness regime than I've ever had before. Do you believe middle age, say 40 to 65, is different today than it was for your parents? And if so, how? Not hugely different, except for the vast improvement in health services and therefore longevity. This creates the need to self-fund for a far more prolonged retirement period. 
What was the most challenging aspect of approaching middle age and what fears or concerns did you have? No fears or concerns. Every age has its blessings and drawbacks and middle age is no exception to that. At the end of each year, I list the habits, the practices and the beliefs that I'm going to say yes to and no to next year. As a mentor to other midlifers, what would be some of your yeses and nos? The beginning of a new year is a time for introspection and life planning. Guiding principles, I suggest, can be encapsulated in the following categories. Number one, health and well-being goals. Number two, financial goals. Number three, moderation goals around alcohol, gambling, eating, smoking, or other addictions that impinge on your ability to get the most out of life. Number four, balancing work, play, and family time. And number five, setting really difficult challenges that make you extremely proud if you achieve them. What's a tactic that you've used to gain control over your life? For me, I promised myself I'd always arrive at work early so that I could be at home with my family no later than 6pm. In busy periods, I would start work as early as 4am or even earlier rather than break my 6pm rule. What is your dominant cause of anxiety or frustration and how do you deal with it? I'm used to being the boss. Frustration comes from the lack of commitment from others, which in turn requires patience, and this can take a lifetime to learn. Did you suffer a midlife crisis and how did it show up for you and what helped you to overcome it? I experienced a tsunami at age 41. I had a marriage in crisis, which I couldn't blame on my wife, and a legal play by my business partner, which saw him gain control of the farm property I was managing, in which I was an equal partner. My partner ended up with the property, and my wife and I gained a payout for half its value. So, over an amazingly short period, I was left with some cash, but no marriage and no job. I found myself shifting from New Zealand to Australia with my new partner and living in a big city for the first time in my life. This left me with a dilemma of working out how a country boy could survive in suburbia. After 40, what event, decision or perceived risk was pivotal for you? How did it manifest and how did you respond? On arrival in Australia, I set very stringent goals along the lines of those I set out above. I also purchased a modest home and then resolved to invest the balance of the proceeds from the sale of the farm, all of it, into rental properties. When this was accomplished, I spent the rest of my cash on a training course designed to teach out-of-work people how to sell computers. That left me with no option but to get a job at all costs. My new skills eventually enabled me to co-found a new business with my current business partner, which still keeps me busy and now employs well over 100 people. What book would you recommend to a person over 40 who wants to reinvent their life and why? In my early 30s, I read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie and Your Erroneous Zones by Wayne Dyer. These two books gave me an enormous boost to my confidence. Prior to that, I struggled to enter a room without feeling that everyone was looking at me. I can truly say that both these books changed my life. Since then, I've been an avid reader of business books and self-improvement publications. Some of the game changers have been Younger Next Year by Crowley and Lodge. Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, and The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. My bookshelf is lined with many others. What advice would you give to a midlifer who believes that they're stuck on a certain path and should just accept it? Follow the weekly blogs of Peter Fritz and Midlife Tribe. (laughs) Okay, I'm blushing on that one. Can you think of a way you've surprised yourself at an age when many people feel like they're set in their ways? Not really. I left school at an early age and I I don't have any unique skills. All of my life I've worked hard and I've kept my nose clean. I make lists and set goals and the rest seems to follow. For me, there's been no aha moment or special recipe and life's been great. Best of all, there's more to come. 
So Ken's formula for living a fulfilling and meaningful life is pretty simple. It proves that honouring the basics of integrity, prioritising and hard work really do pay dividends. More than anything, Ken's example shows me that the good life is attainable. It doesn't demand that you bet the farm or hustle 24-7. You don't need to be smarter than anyone else or more ruthless. Indeed, you can be a gentleman, a family man and a decent human being and still come out looking like you won the lottery. Despite Ken's success as an entrepreneur and investor, he doesn't display any of the outward signs that one would expect. He lives in a modest home in a middle ring suburb, he drives a pre-owned car, and he often retreats with his wife to their 35-year-old caravan down the coast for mini breaks. As I've said to Ken a few times, I want to be just like him when I grow up. He is, in every sense of the word, a rare and valuable mentor and a great example. In future posts, we're going to hear from Chris Gillibo, Seth Godin, Laura Belgray, and a collection of other amazing midlife mentors. I hope you'll return to listen to or read those as well. Also, while I'm in your ears, um, if you haven't already gotten a copy for yourself, I wrote a 60-page full-colour landscape book called 15 Ideas for Midlife Mastery. wrote that about, oh, I guess about a year and a half ago now. And you can get a copy for free. Just go over to midlifetribe.com slash 15ideas, pop in your email address, and I'll send it straight to you. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I look forward to talking to you again next week. So until next time, here's to mastering your midlife. Bye-bye.